Have you ever been given advice that you didn't find particularly helpful? I think that's a human experience. You've been given advice that uh, is from somebody and they say something to the effect of, why don't you just… and then they give the advice. And you may hear that advice and you might think, I don't think that they know the situation that I'm actually in. Other times you get advice and you say, they say something to the effect of, well, why don't you just… and they give you the advice and you're like, I'd never thought of that before. That would make this so much easier, right? So we've all been on the, on the receiving end of good advice and bad advice, all of the above. But I want to focus in today on what our hearts are doing when we hear a message preached or proclaimed, whether that be on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, whether that be on a Wednesday night. What is the Holy Spirit up to when we hear the word proclaimed? Um, when Pastor Mark asked me to speak, he said, you can feel free to speak on anything, whatever you, whatever you want. He said, you can continue on in the series or whatever. And I decided to do something that was kind of tangentially related. Uh, you, all you math and geometry people are be excited. Tangentially related to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look today and what it is for us to have ears to hear. When we listen to a message, when we gather together on a Sunday morning. Now, to the outside world, the room right now full of people listening to something like this on a Sunday morning, to the outside world looking in, this is strange. Let's, let's admit that. There's a lot of other things you could be doing on a Sunday morning. Now, I don't want to tempt you to do a bunch of other things on a Sunday morning, but, but we have to realize that to the outside world, this doesn't make sense for you to spend your Sunday morning doing this. In the context of what Christ has done, in context of the church that God has put together, in context of God's plan and goal for the whole cosmos and this earth, this makes complete sense. But outside of that worldview, it doesn't. So why are we here? What, what, are we, what, are we, what are we doing at this moment? Well, I hope it's not just listening for some good advice. I hope it, if that's why you came, I, I, hope you, I hope you gain something helpful as you walk out the door today. But, but what we proclaim from here, from God's Word, is not good advice. It's good news. Good news that has the final say on our entire life. It's a proclamation, a, a, a joy to hear it, but it's a proclamation that something has been accomplished by the God of the universe, and that changes everything. And it applies to reality not just our spiritual lives. Our spiritual lives make up part of the reality that God gets to define. I talk about this a lot in, in student ministry. Truth, as God defines it, defines reality. Okay? That might be way over your head. You're like, wow, that's, 
a little much for a Sunday morning. Things are true because they correspond and rightly define how God has put together the world. You know what that does to a statement like, well, I'm just going to go live my truth? (laughs) No, no, no. The way God has put together the world, He decides because He's put it together what is true and what is not. So, the most logical thing that you could be doing on a Sunday morning is actually here, being here, listening to God's take on reality, which is the only take on reality, right? So when the Word is proclaimed, there's certain things that the Spirit is up to that we need to be listening in for, that God would give us ears to hear the truth proclaimed, and there are certain outcomes that come out of that. When the Word is proclaimed, there are certain things, certain hallmarks of the Spirit's work in preaching, in the proclamation of the gospel, in the proclamation that is in preaching. It should, first of all, give grace to those who hear. Those of you know, we've been going through uh, Titus in the evening services I've been enjoying that. Um, By the way, there's going to be a lot of different verses that come up on the screen today. Don't feel like you have to, like, do the Bible drill thing for every one of them. We have them up on the screen for your good. Um, If you can't get to them, feel free to read them off the screen. But preaching, the proclaiming of God's Word, should give grace to those who hear. Verse 11 of Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared. That's a big deal in the person of Jesus Christ, and it has brought salvation for all people. Not that all people are saved, but that all people can trust Christ if they are willing. Training us, this grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, live self-right, self, not self-righteous, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation of preaching should bring grace. And that grace transforms our hearts and leads us to live a certain kind of life. That's part of the reason why you're here this morning. You want the grace of God to transform you, to live the life that God has set out for you to live. Also from this same passage, preaching should apply God's timeless truth to current realities. If the statement I made before is that truth is defined by God, reality is defined by God, then His truth, His take on how things really are does not expire like the milk you didn't get to this week. It doesn't start smelling sour, right? Do you ever have somebody come up to you and say, hey, smell this? Just don't. Just, just say no, right? But, but God's Word, God's truth never, never expires. It never goes sour. It never goes bad because He's the one that dictates reality. And so preaching 
You hearing the word, it, it should be a, the application of truth that never changes to lives that continue to change. Right? Aren't you glad we have a steadfast anchor in the word of God? I mean, to be untethered and unmoored from, from, from that stability and to be a floating out into the sea and tossed all around, but the Word of God tethers us, it anchors us, it stabilizes us, no matter what time period in history we live. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Those of you who have been with me in the evenings uh, heard me made the point, in the present age. Well, what does that mean? Well, presently, like right now. The grace of God that you hear proclaimed helps you live a godly life right now, not later, right now. We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, but that God, that that Savior gave Himself us up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness right now and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works right now. That, that's the reality of what you hear on a Sunday morning. It's not from some old dusty book that isn't relevant anymore. It's from the God of the universe who defines reality helps us see clearly, correctly. Give us ears to hear what he has to say. Also, preaching should say again what has already been said. Preaching should say again what has already been said from the Word. There's no new material here. Some of you have, have come up to me and said, hey, that, that was really helpful message. Thank you for, for preaching it. And there's two things I generally say to you when, when, I, when you say that to me, I want to acknowledge, thank you for encouraging me, right? But I often say two things. I'll say, I'm glad, it, I'm glad God used it. And secondly, God starts me out with good material. I don't come up with any of this on my own, right? It's, it's all in the book. I'm not super creative, but God is. And God has written down what I need to know and what I need to proclaim, and what you need to hear, and what you need to live. That's the joy of, of this. And we say again what has already been said. We're reminded of a lot of the verses we heard last week from Pastor Mark. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Right? We didn't come up with this story. We didn't devise this myth of Jesus. He was a historical figure. He really lived. He really died. He really rose again. And he really changed the scope of all human history forever. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's my job as a preacher, as a pastor to present what has already been written down. Not necessarily anything new. 
Now, I may make you think about it in a new way, in a different way, in a way that, that you didn't expect, right? That's, that's my that's one thing that I need to be doing and one thing that Pastor Mark needs to be doing and something we strive to do as we prepare. But we're reminding you of what God has already said. For instance, Romans 8, uh, one of my favorite passages, and of course our students stop believing me when I say that because I have so many of them. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This, this is a picture of what's happening when the Spirit is working with your spirit and you hear the Word of God. You are reminded, I am a son or a daughter of God. I don't have to fall back into fear. I've been adopted, like, right, natural-born children, your parents didn't really choose you, but adopted children, you could say, well, they chose me. They couldn't have chosen you, but they chose me, right? Just stick that in, you know, adopted kids, just stick that in, right? Don't be mean to your brothers and sisters. But what is, what is it that the, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that these things are true, that I'm an heir, that, that I, I have an inheritance coming, bears witness that I'm going to be suffering, and that's part of the reality of being God's son, because in that suffering, glory is also going to come. We say again what's already been said, and the Spirit repeats it again to our hearts. And then we have a choice to make. <laughs> Am I going to believe that? Am I going to not? Am I going to live as if that's true, or am I going to ignore it? Preaching should also focus on Christ crucified and not manipulate. It should focus on Christ crucified and not manipulate. The, this passage in 1 Corinthians 2 is, is very helpful. When I came to you, verse 1, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Parents, you know this reality. There's many different ways to motivate your kids. <laughs> some good, some not so good, right? You can motivate them with fear or power plays or manipulation. You can just be, be hard on them, overwhelm, overwhelm them. You could try the, the buddy route and not really ever give them any commands and, and just, just kind of let them run free, right? There's, there's options out there as to how you can, you know, direct the behavior of your children. I think we'd do well to take a lot of help from this passage. You proclaim to them what needs to be done. 
and you rely on the Spirit's power to change them. Now, parents, you know that's hard to do. That's hard to be that kind of patient. The, the, the task of the, of the preacher is that same sort of thing. They can be tempted to, to lean in too far, to push too hard, to manipulate, to, to try to use lofty speech that the people don't understand and all of a sudden they're wrapped up in something they don't fully get. But Paul says no. No, so much so that he says that he decided to know nothing among them except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here's where it comes home to roost. We either believe that the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ coming and dying for us and rising again and giving us new life, we either believe that the gospel is powerful enough to change people or we move to something else to control their behavior. Every single time, that's the question we must ask. That's the temptation we all face. How are we going to... You ever, you, ever, you ever wish somebody would change their behavior? Anybody? Right? Like in traffic? Okay, bad example. Um, in the supermarket line. Uh, okay, bad example. Uh, you name it. We, we are tempted to try to get our way by some sort of coercion or force. And the question we have to come down to in, in, this, in, in our spiritual lives, if we try to motivate behavior change with anything less than the gospel, with anything less than what God has already done and proclaimed to be true, We're manipulating. We're trying to coerce. And we say that we don't trust the gospel to actually change people's hearts and actions. Right? That's as true from right here as it is in the Sunday school classroom and in your homes when you're parenting and everywhere in between. Do we believe that the gospel is the power of God to save people and change them? We have to believe that Christ crucified is enough to change people. Preaching that follows the Spirit's work should glorify God, exhort and encourage you to walk worthy of the gospel. Now, notice that in the balance to not manipulating or coercing or guilt-tripping or any of those things, but it should exhort and encourage you to walk worthy of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 12, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you'd become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to you, any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, of how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know that like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you 
to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. A, a, a preacher, a pastor should, should share his, his life with you. You guys know many things that I've shared. They're, they're, not, they're not all pretty because I know my own heart and I, I know its need for renovation. And my hope is that it helps you to understand that your heart also needs that renovation. If the guy speaking up here who seems like he has it all together can admit that need for God to change him, hopefully it begins to help you admit your need because we're all in the same boat. And we're exhorted, we're encouraged to make our life match up with the glory of the gospel. That is not perfection, my friends. That is us not being perfect and relying on the gospel and proving it true. That's the joy of what you hear on a Sunday morning. So if your heart automatically goes to guilt and shame, like he said I should do that, I haven't been doing that, right? There's such a thing as godly guilt and there's such a thing as worldly guilt from, from Corinthians. And you, you have to see, you have to understand that godly conviction pushes you to accept the help of the gospel. Worldly guilt, worldly shame says you're on your own and you've got to fix it on your own. You see the difference? I'm hoping that as God gives us ears to hear, we can see the difference between those two things and know that God convicts us for our good, that He might change us. Not that we would just fix it all, bring it back to Him, see God, aren't you glad I did it without your help? No. It's not relying on the gospel. We walk worthy of the gospel by failing and coming to the cross every time. Now, we also walk worthy of the gospel by not failing because we're relying on the grace of God to help us, right? Either way, that's walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. Preaching that follows the Spirit's direction should rightly handle the word of truth without deviation or dilution. Without deviation or dilution. This passage in 2 Timothy 2.14 is interesting. Because right in the middle of it, you, you, you see rightly handling the word of truth. But look at the context around it. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. I want to people finish, finish off for me. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Notice it says, be equipped, rightly divide the word of truth, but bracketing both of those on both sides in that passage, it says, don't quarrel about words and avoid irreverent babble. Part of rightly dividing the word of truth is deciding what you're not going to talk about. You see how that works? 
I don't think it's an accident that that bracket's rightly dividing the word of truth. It's deciding what you're not going to make a big issue of. It's deciding what you're not going to, you're not going to, not going to get too far into splicing details because you allow for things like Christian freedom. Rightly dividing the truth means that you, you, you apportion it correctly without letting other things come in and dilute it or deviate from the main point. That's what it would be to rightly handle the Word, according to this passage in its context. So you may have to decide in your own presentation of the Word what you're going to make a big deal about and let the Word be the thing that decides that for you. <clears throat> Biblical preaching should also be done in community. The, the hallmark verse for this, I think, you, you almost have to go here, Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. How do we hold fast to our confession without wavering? The very next verse says, let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but, in, some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do you hold fast without wavering? Well, you believe that God is faithful. He's going to keep His promises, and then you listen in community so that you can help spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Sometimes I get the question, Right? I, I, I don't have to go to church. You know, I listen to, listen to good podcasts. You know, Alistair Begg does a good one and, and whatever. Here's the problem with that. You and I both know. You and I both do it. I'm not saying don't listen to podcasts. I'm not saying don't listen to other preachers. I'm saying that if we do that without community, there's nothing to keep us accountable to what we've just heard. When you hear it in a room like this, or even online, if, you're, if you have to stay home, you're watching from home, you hear it in the context of your community, full of people who, when they see your life going off the rails, should show up at your door and say, I love you, and I cannot let you go down this road. I'm here. I'm not judging you because my heart does the same thing, but I'm here because I cannot let you do this to your life. I hope you have people in this church that are close enough to your life to see it, to know they're going off the rails and they show up. By the way, that's not, according to this passage, that's, that's, that's not, 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 not my job particularly or Pastor Mark's job particularly. It's the body of people exhorting one another, stirring one another up, agitating one another up toward love and good works. Don't neglect to be together because being together, you get to know each other. And if you're not together, people don't know you and they can't tell when you're going off where you shouldn't go. Listen in community. Because in it is that right and good accountability. In, in it is that, that joy of, of living lives that are interdependent as God intends for them to be in the church. Right? Should be done in community. Okay? 
So quickly here, we're going to look at the Spirit's focus in preaching. And if you've been around preaching any length of time, when you hear me say, we're going to quickly look at this, we'll see how soon we're done. No, we'll go quickly, mostly. Again, the Spirit directs that we focus in on Christ crucified and risen. We've already mentioned this from um, 1 Corinthians. But look at Romans 10 for a second. If we don't proclaim the reality of the gospel, according to this passage, we have a big problem when it comes to our evangelism. Right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. How then will they call on him who they've not believed? How are they to believe on whom who they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? People don't come to know Christ without someone declaring to them the gospel message. There's no way for them to, 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 to do that in, in such a way as they can come to know Christ. Now, there is an internal witness that can, that, that can lead them pretty far, but at some point they need to hear the message of the gospel. Now, God can do that by supernatural means at times, but His main means of people hearing the message of the gospel is the person sitting in your seat proclaiming it. So not only should our preaching in a context like this be centered on Christ crucified and risen, but so should your proclamation to those who don't know Christ. Because it's only by hearing that message that they're going to be saved. It's not by hearing, hey, you should, you should, you should just come to church. Because we can get all sorts of ideas on being at a church makes me a, a, a good Christian, right? I was sharing in Sunday school with the guys today. Right? I can sit in the garage all day long and never be a car. Right? So if being in church is what makes you a Christian, well, no, 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 no. It's trusting the gospel message which you have heard and believed. The goal in preaching, Spirit's focus in preaching is to make the Word of God fully known. This passage is, is helpful. Colossians 1, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Not that there's anything lacking in Christ's saving work, no, but that saving work has not been proclaimed and explained to its fullness. Think for a second of being the disciples when Jesus ascends into heaven. You're one of the disciples. You watch him literally float up into the air, and you're all standing there as a group looking around thinking, Okay, now what? Do you have further questions that you wish you could have asked Jesus before he left? <laughs> yes, lots of them. And what God did was he equipped that group of men to think and preach and write in such a way that it's recorded for you. You think of the Apostle Paul for a second. He knew what his goal was. 
My goal is to make this mystery plain. I was a minister according to this stewardship. God chose me, verse 27, to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In the Scriptures that Paul wrote, you have a whole catalog answering these questions of how you become mature as believers. Jesus has ascended. We're waiting for Him to return. We have all sorts of questions, and they're answered in the Word. And so, proclaiming this Word should revolve around making His Word known. Spirit's focus in preaching, as we've looked at in Titus 1, faith, truth, godliness, and hope, right? Paul is a servant of God for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords, leads to, results in godliness. So, what the focus is here is, is our proclamation of these things should result in faith, truth, godliness, and hope. There's also a fair number of commands that are described. This passage in Acts talks a lot about uh, the, the, the fact that this gospel message results in a fair bit of commands for us. The gospel message is true. It has happened. And now, Matthew 28, etc., what are we going to do with it? We are supposed to be His witnesses of all that Christ has done. And lastly here as we wrap up, Spirit's focus in preaching is the same as any of our other speech. You would say that it's true that if if something is supposed to be true about all of our speech, that it would be true of the person proclaiming the message in front of a bunch of people, right? You would say that it follows that if it's true that our speech should be one way, then our preaching should also follow those same lines, okay? Look at this verse, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, there are some times where the Bible commands people like me to say some very strong and definite things, right? In the hope that the grace of God would be the thing that ultimately rings loudest. To say, stop doing this can actually bring grace to you. I am so thankful that I look out on a group of people who desire to hear even when it hurts because they desire to be encouraged, to be built up, to hear the message of grace and to live it out. 
I know so many of these faces that I see. By the way, just side note, as far as preaching goes, um, I, I see all y'all. I, I know. I can tell. I, I can see, right? And by the way, if you fall asleep during the message, I know. <laughs> but that's okay. Because I know what it is to be in that seat. And I know what it is to struggle to get here, to listen to a message after the week that you've had. Okay, I, I get it. I understand it. So if you need a nap in the middle, of it, that's okay. That's all right. Right? And so when you, when you wake up and you see that I'm looking at you, right, just know. Just know because ultimately it rings true right here. Grace is ultimately what I want you to walk away with, to be built up, to be in a place where you can take a nap in the middle of the sermon, and that might be exactly what God intended for you today. There's some kids in the nursery sleeping, hopefully. But we need to broaden our understanding. What, what does grace look like when it's imparted to us? And our preaching and our proclamation of the word need to follow that. Maybe you are here and you've heard thousands of sermons, but you've not taken a moment to think, wow, this is what I really need to come to hear. That's why I titled the message what I did, Give Us Ears to Hear. So whatever it is for you that, that right now you're thinking, I need to lean in and listen for that. I hope you heard it. And I hope you come back to hear it again and again. Maybe this is the second sermon you've heard in your life, and, and you're not really sure if you believe all of this. That's okay. It's okay that you're here and you don't know what it is that this is, I invite you to keep coming back. Listen, hear, discover, ask good questions, and see if this message of the gospel doesn't resonate with your heart as the truest thing you've ever heard. It's a strange thing we're doing on a Sunday morning at noon, <laughs> but you're here hear the message that God has for you. Now you've heard it, and now you live it. Let's pray. Our gracious God, I thank you that you've given us your word, that you have been so kind to write it all down, and then you've been so kind to equip people to present and proclaim it that we might receive the grace that's here all the more. I pray that this, this place, this group of people, this body of Christ, this would always be a place where the Word of God is proclaimed in all its fullness and that the focus ultimately would come back to Jesus Christ every single time because He's our only hope. And we thank you for the ways that you have blessed us. 
by giving us this word. The way it steps on our toes sometimes, the way it convicts us, I pray that it would lead us to repentance and to joy. I pray for my friends here that, man, that they would come here excited with ears to hear, as I know is, is the heart of so many here, but that ultimately you would use your word to transform hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.